Hello and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast, Pitchfest 2020 series. I'm Nick Shirelli, thanks for joining me. Late last year, OIO ran the Ocean Impact Pitchfest 2020. We were inundated with almost 200 applications from 38 countries and were blown away by the incredible breadth and quality of ideas and ventures that applied, all trying to make a positive impact on planet Ocean. Over the course of this Pitchfest 2020 series, We'll dive into the challenge and opportunity areas that each of the finalists are working on, find out about their unique solution, and discuss the key challenges and learnings they've encountered on their journey so far. We'll also discuss their why, their motivation for working towards a healthy ocean, what the road ahead looks like for them, and how you, the listener, might be able to support their journey. This week, I'm talking to Juan Peña Ibanez, who's the CEO of the Spanish startup Orbital EOS. Orbital EOS provides satellite-based solutions to challenges in the maritime domain, like oil spill detection, environmental performance monitoring, and coastal erosion. Using artificial intelligence, or AI, and high-end ocean modelling, Orbital EOS reduces the cost of monitoring by a factor of 10, while increasing the surveillance capacity by a factor of 100. One of the primary use cases for the Orbital EOS technology, which is called EOS Viewer, is for oil spill monitoring. EOS Viewer leverages a network of radar and optical earth observation satellites, resulting in cost-efficient surveillance of assets even at remote locations. Did you know that oil destroys the insulating ability of fur-bearing mammals, such as sea otters, and the water-repelling abilities of a bird's feathers, exposing them to the harsh elements? Many birds and animals also swallow oil and are poisoned when they try to clean themselves or when eating oiled prey. One of the largest oil spill disasters in history was the BP Deepwater Horizon spill in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010. Aside from the devastating environmental impact and the knock-on impact to coastal industries and livelihoods, the incident cost BP over US $60 billion in court fees, penalties and clean-up costs. I really enjoyed this conversation with Juan. We discuss his time working in aerial surveillance in the Spanish military, the limitations of aerial surveillance that led him back to university to explore more scalable solutions to large-scale marine monitoring, and touch on future innovation breakthroughs including AI in orbit. One discussion point in particular that blew me away was that roughly only 10% of the oil that makes its way into the ocean comes from what we would consider large-scale catastrophic events, like an oil tanker running aground or an offshore oil rig explosion. The remaining 90% finds itself in the ocean through a range of business-as-usual instances. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Juan Peña-Ibanez on the Ocean Impact Podcast Pitchfest 2020 series. Good morning, Juan, and welcome to the Ocean Impact Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Uh, good morning, Nick. Pleasure to be here. I do say morning. It's late night here in Sydney, but you're uh, in, in sunny Valencia. And um, what time is it for you there? Uh, it's 11 in the morning now. We have a beautiful 
uh, morning, sunny day, spring is coming in Spain, so quite happy. <laughs> yeah, excellent. We've had four or five days of, of torrential rain here in Sydney and um, you know, one in a hundred year type flooding event. So uh, we haven't seen sun for a little while, but hopefully fingers crossed, fingers crossed for tomorrow. <laughs> so look, thanks for joining me. Um, excited to have this discussion today to talk about orbital EOS and, and what you guys are doing uh, with satellite technology and AI. Um, let's get straight into it. Tell us about, you know, tell us about what you're doing. Tell us about the the problem um, that you're tackling. Yeah, sure. So the name of the uh, company is uh, Orbital EOS. Uh, so EOS stands for Earth Observation Solutions. So basically what we do is we use uh, satellite images and artificial intelligence to uh, design uh, solutions uh, to address, uh, you know, business and environmental problems in the maritime domain. Excellent. And uh, so, what sort of what sort of problems are we talking about here? Yeah. So we're highly focused on oil spill monitoring. Um, yeah. So I guess that you know, oil spill pollution is a it's a global issue uh, for all of us. Uh, approximately, it is estimated that you know, 2 million tons of oil end up at the ocean every year. And unfortunately, uh, this happens in every place, every country. Uh, and in our experience, most of that events go totally undetected. Yeah, so in a sense, we, we found, found out the best way to observe the ocean constantly and get information about oil spills is observing from space. Um, so that is what we do. We use satellite images and artificial intelligence, which make a very nice marriage to uh, extract this relevant information and help, you know, oil industry, governments and, and insurance companies to understand better this problem in order to better address it. And, and we're not just talking about, I think, I think when people think oil spill, we think um, major catastrophes, but if I'm not wrong, it's not just um, catastrophic spills that we're talking about here that we see on the news. We're talking about everyday occurrences from a variety of places that um, are constantly uh, leaking a variety of oils and pollutants. Tell us about some of those. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. So it is estimated that accidents, uh, you know, major accidents, the ones that we see, uh, we see in the news, uh, contribute only you know, for about 10% of the oil that is reaching the ocean uh, on a yearly basis. The rest uh, is produced by operational or delivered pollution. So uh, we have identified three major sources. Uh, the first one would be uh, operational leaks from, from oil rigs. Uh, the second one would be uh, delivered pollution from ships. Unfortunately, this is a very um, common practice at, the, uh, at sea, ships uh, discharge uh, the bilge, which is waste oil uh, from the engine, and they discharge this uh, at sea to save money. Uh, yeah, and the third one would be uh, major accidents. But let's say that chronicle pollution that happens every day is, is where we focus our attention. Of course, we help in accidents, but we, we have to raise awareness about how operational daily occurrence of oils, oil spills, you know, can, can have a, a very, very damage, a high damage on the environment. Sure. 
tell, tell me about bilge dumping. Um, and so ships are dumping this, um, uh, dumping at sea, and that's saving them. That's saving them money because it. I mean, how are they saving money? Is that because it's saving them time of um, disposing of that waste correctly when they're in port? Yeah, that 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 would be more or less the situation. Uh, to explain this in a, in very let's say clear terms, it's like um, when I have used my car for a month or you know for three months, and I have lubricant oil from the engine that is used, and I have to go to a place to declare this you know to declare this waste and pay a tax for it because it has to be properly uh, disposed. Uh, it's it's toxic for the environment and there's a regulation out there to you know to help this happen that is properly disposed um you know nobody would think of someone you know discharging this waste uh you know at the beach uh nobody would think about this unfortunately this happens uh, at the ocean on a daily basis so if you can think about the engine of uh, a ship, it can be, you know, the size of a house. So it produces a lot, a lot of waste, a lot of oily waste. Normally it's lubricant oil, uh, but it's also um, a waste from, um, from the low quality fuel that they use that have to be, it has to be centrifugated. So there is a waste they call sludge. Uh, and, and, and it's a waste that they have to properly dispose as well. Um, so they put this in a, in a, in a container, in a, in a place of the ship um, where all the early waste goes. And, and um, what they do is just discharge this at sea. Uh, it's it's the deliberate pollution. It's, it's an environmental crime. It's regulated. But unfortunately, the likelihood of being caught doing this is low. So you know, what, what, when they are in open seas, they, they do this. So we have found out that the best way of detecting this illegal behavior is by using satellites. So your customers for this particular problem are governments, I assume, and it's, uh, I suppose, it's also a, um, a relatively predictable thing for you to be able to analyze because of the nature of um, shipping routes being what they are, um, and 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 regular f uh, shipping frequency and and so forth. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it, Nick. Um, we normally put our eyes from space in places where the traffic is uh, very dense, very high. Um, there are, of course, um, there are also things um, related to. Um, how the enforcement works in, in, in the countries. For instance, uh, finding this illegal behavior in the United States is very hard because normally ships think, you know, I'm going to be caught. The fine is going to be two million. So I want, I want this. But if you are in Indonesia or Malaysia or in uh, South of India or sometimes even in Australia, um, this, this unfortunately happens. So we put our eyes, our satellites pointing at places where we think the, highly, uh, the likelihood of, of this uh, behavior is, is higher. And uh, we produce a report for the authority, maritime authority, uh, and give them a warning. Look, this has happened. We have identified the ship uh, and we gather and, and produce uh, all, a report to, to, you know, for them to, to prosecute the ship. 
That's interesting. I mean, I would have uh, sort of the logic I was thinking was that the the regions and the countries with the high penalties would be the ones that would be most um, incentivized, I suppose, to engage your services uh, because every time you you discover that someone's doing the wrong thing, there's mm -hmm. well, there's there's government revenue there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it all depends on the balance between the problem and the perception of the problem you know you're totally right saying you know if the perception of the problem is high like you know united states or europe then customers would be more keen to spend in these technologies this happens sometimes and sometimes happens that the pain is so big that even uh places where uh, you know governments are not sensitive to environmental issues they have to spend money because otherwise actually they have to clean uh, beaches because of you know oil reaching the beach on a weekly basis so we have to play with those those let's say psychological factors uh, all the time gotcha and i suppose there might be um something in it where you know the us for instance you use them as an example with large fines if you were to approach a decision maker in government there about engaging your services, they might say, hey, you know, where the, the, the consequences of, of dumping in our waters are so, are so large via the fines, we don't think we need to engage in constant monitoring. Yeah, yeah, it, it happens sometimes. At the end, what we're trying to do is to, uh, let's say, explain that, you know, preventive measures are always uh, better for the environment and better for internal budgets as well. Uh, so normally um, the, the industry and, and some governments have a, a reactive mindset. You know, I don't, I'm not going to invest this until I have the problem on the table, you know, until I have my voters telling me, you know, this oil pollution thing, it's, it's, it's you know, it's killing fish. Uh, it's uh, uh, we have to close the shoreline because it's toxic. This happens in some parts of the world, like UAE, for instance, United Arab Emirates. Um, so it depends, of course, that there's a lot of psychological uh, uh, aspects involved in, in decision making. When we're talking about environmental issues, um, I, I guess you're, you're, you're aware of that as well. But what we're trying to say, look, we're going to monitor your area for you using satellites in a very cost-efficient manner. And if that something happens, you will be much more prepared than if you're not observing at all. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, governments looking at the problem of human pollution or human um, caused pollution at sea, primarily bilge dumping. Uh, another target you mentioned there was uh, prior to that was working with oil industry to help them improve their environmental performance. Talk, talk me through talk me through that. Yeah, so let, let's say that uh, you know I am an, an, an oil producer and I have some uh, oil rigs, some facilities offshore. Uh, I'm extracting oil from the bottom of the ocean and then I, I ship this oil to, to be refined in, in other place. So um, I can have, let's say, what we call operational pollution, which, you know, uh, a pipeline breaks 
or there's a malfunction in, a, in a valve and I have a leak in the, in the facility. Um, so these small uh, leaks of, of oil can, can be pretty hard to detect. Uh, if you are at the facility, because of the altitude that you're observing the ocean, you are not going to be able to, to see it. But if you are observing from 800 kilometers above the ocean, then you are able to see it very well, even if it's small, you know? So we are helping them to understand what is happening in their facility on a, on a regular basis. It's not only about um, complying with regulations, not polluting and, and you know, uh, protecting the environment, but it's also about uh, knowing what is happening in, in the facility, because if there's a breakage, if, if there's a malfunction in a pipeline, I need to know as soon as possible, you know, because otherwise I'm losing um, people. Uh, people forget that the oil industry sells oil. So I don't want to use to lose oil at the ocean because it's the thing that I sell. You know, it's not only environmental issue. It's, it's, it's a logistic issue. It's a, a, you know, an efficiency issue. So we try to provide them information on a regular basis of what is happening in their offshore uh, facilities. And we, uh, we do that by uh, giving warning, uh, warnings to them when there's an uh, oil leak. And we do this on a regular basis using satellites. Otherwise, it would be hugely expensive to if you use another technology like helicopters or aircraft. Sure, sure. Um, Juan, let's talk about a couple of numbers that are, to me, are, are pretty mind-blowing. I want to pick up on one that you mentioned uh, a few moments, a few minutes back, um, that I'm still, I still have reverberating around in my head, that number mm -hmm. that only... Uh, around 10%, I think it was, of all oil that's discharged into the ocean in, in, in any year is from what we would consider to be catastrophic oil events. And that the other, is that right? It is 10%, you said, right? Yeah, 10%. So 90% yeah. 90, 90 of all of the oil that's discharged into the ocean is from regular occurring business as usual operations of a variety of different industries and players across the world. That is mind-blowing. Um, what's also mind-blowing is these two numbers that you talk about with your technology, um, the first one being that your technology can reduce the cost of monitoring by a factor of 10 mm -hmm. whilst increasing the surveillance capacity by a factor of 100. Um, pretty big statistics there, and I think that's a good sort of segue to, to ask you to tell the listeners a little bit about, without getting too deeply technical because we are talking about satellites mm -hmm. and AI here. Paint the picture for how you take what Orbital EOS does with AI and with the satellite technology um, to be able to get to the point where you have this cost reduction by a factor of 10, surveillance capacity uh, increasing by a factor of 100. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, thank you. Thank you for the question. It's very interesting. So uh, the way we do this is very simple. Uh, we do this by using a lot of satellites and by using AI. That's why we achieve this. Um, so if you use a lot of satellites, then you have a huge observation capacity. And uh, one of the bottlenecks in the industry is Okay, I have used I, I have this uh, big eye in the ocean. Sorry, in the space observing the ocean, 
let's multiply this by 100. I, I have 100 eyes observing the ocean. Uh, but how can I process this data efficiently? You know, we're talking about petabytes of data. Uh, one image is 1.5 gigabytes, so it's huge. A normal computer cannot, cannot open a single uh, satellite image. It's, it's impossible. They are very large. So what we do is to put AI to extract the relevant information from the data. Uh, then we transform an army of satellites into a tiny, uh, let's say, uh, amount of relevant information. It's all about extracting patterns, you know, extracting patterns from the data. It's all about data science, AI. Um, yeah, and that, that is how we achieve uh, to reduce the cost by a factor of 10 if you compare with other solutions in the markets. And uh, if you compare this with helicopters or aircraft that have been used for, uh, you know, uh, air, air patrol or maintenance surveillance. Uh, actually, I worked in one of them, so I'm pretty confident of, of the number. Um, if you compare uh, the observation capacity of a, of a capability of the satellite with an aircraft, we can monitor, uh, you know, 100 times more surface than using an aircraft. Extraordinary. Let, let's um, let's just touch on the satellites for a moment um, because I think it is a topic that a lot of people would have no idea about, me included. Um, from what I understand, there's uh, open source satellites and there's a variety of these up there. I think one of the main um, uh, projects that you leverage is uh, the European, um, Europe, what is it, European Space um, Agency. Agency. Uh, network that went up. Uh, what are we talking to? 2014. That's yes. the time frame. Uh, with the intent to say, right, let's let's put a heap of satellites up in the air uh, and let people uh, essentially uh, use the data, share the data, um, where we can we can engage citizens globally, I suppose, to monitor the health of the planet. Um, and then the other the other uh, side is you have a lot of private satellites that you can that you can uh, engage and pay a fee for service from time to time. Just give us a really high level on on how this satellite. Um, you know, how the hell do I get an image from a satellite? How do I put a satellite <laughs> up in the air? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The the nice thing is that you know I. My background is marine science. I'm oceanographer, but now I work in the space market. Uh, we, we can totally say we, we are in the space market because we work with, with space data. So the nice thing is that what we are experiencing, experiencing now is the democratization of space. You know, in the past, only NASA or any other huge governmental or supra governmental uh, entity could you know, build these huge constellations of satellites, very expensive, 100 tons, millions of dollars, no? Now you can, you can, you know, I speak with startups on a weekly basis that launch, they launch, they build and launch satellites, micro satellites. So we're, we're, we're you know, we're talking here about um, national agencies uh, open sourcing the images they have or like the european space agency you mentioned 
Uh, ESA made a huge investment in a program called Copernicus. And the whole idea is to put um, satellites in orbit to understand the health of the planet. With this data, we can do a lot of science and we can do business as well. For instance, these satellites have huge capacity for oil spill monitoring and especially for maritime applications. So yeah, it's, it's like this really. You don't really have to be uh, an astronaut anymore to use uh, data from space or even to launch a, a business uh, in, in the space market. And, and I, my opinion is, this is great for everybody, you know? Uh, so we use a lot open source data from NASA and ESA, but of course we promote the private markets as well because we are data hungry. We are at the end of the supply chain. We are a data analytics company. We don't operate satellites. Well, at least not, not now, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we are data hungry all the time. We need data, otherwise, we wouldn't be able to build a business. So um, we go to the private market very often as well, because maybe sometimes we need some kind of images, some kind of satellites, or maybe the frequency is not enough to meet the customer uh, demands. So we, let's say, combine this uh, capacity from private market and, and open source uh, data. It's, it's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Satellites, and um, we could we could spend a whole another podcast episode on that, but uh, we we won't. Let's um, let's let's to pick up on something you you said uh, a couple of minutes ago. You talked about your background in the maritime industry and and around air surveillance. Let's go back to the start um, and tell us about you know, and even tell us about your time as a um, uh, in marine science. Where where did you know where did your connection to the ocean uh, how did that start? What does that look like? And then um, what does, you know, how did Orbital EOS come about? What was the genesis for the idea? Yeah, uh, so my background is oceanography. I studied oceanography at university and um, I had the chance to, well, after that, I was involved in some, you know, fisheries research. I was um, I did some campaigns uh, on board uh, fishing uh, vessels, uh, kind of interesting job, and, and some, some research. But after some years, I, I had the chance to uh, get involved with the Spanish Coast Guard. So in 2003, uh, Spain experienced the world environmental disaster in, in, in Spanish history that was the oil spillage from the Prestige oil tanker. And the government, I think they realized the country was not prepared for this kind of disasters or for oil pollution in general. So they made a huge investment and they bought three maritime surveillance aircraft to patrol the exclusive economic zone of Spain and to look for oil spillage and search and rescue. So I had the chance to be part of the crew of one of these aircrafts for 12 years. And what we did is to use sensors on board these aircraft to um, find ships at sea that were lost and, and try to rescue people, and also to find, uh, detect and characterize oil spills, especially for trying to enforce environmental regulations. Yeah, so after 12 years um, of you know, being involved in this 
amazing job, very, very rewarding, you know, taking care of people, taking care of the ocean, who, who can, you know, ask for more, you, you won't find it. <laughs> uh, we, we started to think, okay, what's next? So a colleague and, and, and I um, came back to university, did a master's degree in remote sensing and data analytics. And we found out that satellites are a huge tool for observing the ocean because even using an aircraft, which is a very nice tool for maritime patrol, you have constraints. Uh, you have to rest. Uh, there are boundaries in the aerial space. We couldn't enter another country's aerial space, for instance. Um, and even if it's, it's a very nice tool for maritime patrol, you cannot, you know, I can't go to Australia in one day and monitor the coast of Australia. So there are geographical limitations. So in, in university, we found out um, that uh, a new bunch of satellites were, you know, were, were being launched. Uh, uh, a lot of new actors in space. So more data, more capacity, more availability. A totally, you know, a huge change in the paradigm of space, space, uh, 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 you know, as an asset in general. So, yeah, we thought, okay, let's go forward. Let's go, let, let, you know, the solution is let's fly higher. It's as simple as that. Let's fly higher. It's romantic, but it's technological as well, you know. Um, and we launched the company. Uh, this was early 2019. And the main product that we have is a digital platform that provides global oil pollution intelligence. So we detect and characterize oil pollution, whether it comes from accidents, whether it comes from operational or delivered uh, behavior. Um, and, and that's what we uh, commercialize in a sense. Um, quite proud of what we have achieved so far. Um, we, and we, let's say we try to leverage all the operational experience that we had uh, at the Coast Guards and use this operational experience to teach machines, to teach AI, to do this for us in a more cost-efficient and reliable way. So that's extraordinary. So you spent 12 years doing aerial surveillance and you realized um, the, you know, that was a rewarding experience, but you realized that it had its limitations, uh, geographical limits, you know, you can't be in the air 100% of the time um, and, and various other uh, limitations. Um, and you got together with one of your colleagues who also worked with you in, in that uh, air maritime uh, role. And you said, let's, let's take a dive. Let's dive into um, going back to uni and looking for a way for us to, um, what was the word you said a moment ago? You said we're elevating or we're going, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, fly, fly higher. You're going to fly higher, but you didn't. You didn't at that point. Did you? Re you didn't realize that satellites were the end game to do it. Yeah, at that time we were just um, kind of dreaming of the ideal solution. Yeah, yeah. It was a time later when we, let's say, realized this is the tool that we need. You know, a satellite is the tool that we need. And fortunately, the things are evolving so fast that this is the future, you know, this is the future. Um, yeah, so in, in 2019, we were dreaming about using a satellite 
to detect a tiny boat in the ocean or to monitor oil spills in Australia. But now it, it, we can do that, you know, it, 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 yeah. Amazing. So there are some constraints, yeah, there are some constraints, of course, and some things that have to be, let's say, um, improved. For instance, in terms of um, the timeliness that, the time that you need to, to get the image and, and analyze it, it cannot meet always all the requirements of, of the end user. But things are evolving very fast. And, and we have conversations with satellite operators uh, every week and tell them, look, this is what customers need. So let, let's, let's make this happen. Hmm. Extraordinary. So you could have quite easily have um, stayed doing what you were doing. You had a great job. You were probably well paid. You were, it was very rewarding. Uh, but rather than rest on your laurels, um, you saw an opportunity to you know, take what you were doing and turn that into something much bigger, uh, you know, to, and, and essentially scale, I suppose, what, um, what, what you couldn't scale while doing uh, airplane surveillance. Um, but you didn't, you don't have a background in AI, do you? What, um, you know, uh, I mean, it's still a massive cliff to jump off, if you like, at that point, uh, to leave that role behind, head back to university and say, hey, we see a big chunky problem in front of us. But we're super passionate about trying to solve it. You know, that's that's extraordinary. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, you know, entrepreneurs, we are all a bit crazy <laughs> and passionate about what you do. Otherwise, it would, you know, it would it wouldn't be so possible. Yeah, but um, the question is that um, when we came back to university, the field of remote sensing and AI were overlapping, you know, because a satellite image can have a lot of information, but how do you extract the relevant information? The, you know, how do you answer the question that you want to answer? This is a tricky part because it's not, it's not really like a, like a picture. It's, it's a bit more, well, it's much more complex. It's, a sat it's an image taken from the space there are a lot of physical variables out there. Um, so there are two things that are crucial. One is understand the physics behind of the process of, you know, how a satellite sees the earth or how a satellite uh, detects an oil spill, for instance, a process that I want to detect. How do they see, you know? Because the vision of a satellite is not like the vision of a person. This is one part of the, of the equation. The other part is, how we use uh, algorithms, AI, to extract this relevant information very quickly and very efficiently. So we, we let's say um, in the master program, we did some research using AI. We are not experts in AI, so we hired an expert in AI. We have a PhD in AI in the, in the team. Excellent, brilliant brain, I would say. Um, and let's say that each one of the team brings, you know, the, the, the knowledge on the table and we try all of, all of us to solve uh, the challenge. Yeah, that's how we operate. So you've only been around from 2019. So you've only been around for two or two years, essentially, uh, two or three mm -hmm. years. Um, and in that time, uh, you've gone from concept to having your platform in the market. You've got um, 
some some paid pilots that that I'd like you to tell us about in a moment. That's that's a lot in a short space of time. Well, thank you. Um, I'm pretty happy with, uh, with with what we have achieved so far. So um, yeah, two milestones I would say. One last year, the solution we have in the market, which is called EOS Viewer. Uh, in, and it's it's a solution for global oil spill intelligence based on AI and satellite observation. Um, this solution was awarded by the European Space Agency in a contest for uh, European startups. Um, very, very competitive. Uh, ESA is a highly, highly reputed institution in Europe. It's like, you know, it's like NASA, you know, it's, it's only very smart people work there and you have to be very good at what you do to get this recognition so we are very happy that uh, this uh, solution was awarded by ESA and uh, last year we did a pilot with a big name in the oil industry with Total the French oil and gas company we did a pilot uh, for them monitoring oil rigs in the ocean and it was pretty successful. We demonstrated uh, that the whole process can be digitized. The whole, the whole process can be much more cost efficient that, uh, you know, other solutions do in the market so, so far. And we have, we have explored other, let's say, adjacent markets like or applications like coastal air ocean. So last year, for instance, uh, we did a very interesting pilot to uh, understand coastal erosion in, in, in Spain. We have a huge problem here with storms in the winter. And, you know, even the touristic season was compromised in some parts of Spain. Um, and that's not a joke. Uh, you know, the whole North Europe spends the summer in Spain. So the, it's not a joke anymore. Um, if there's no sand at the beach, there's no beach. So people, you know, it's like this. So uh, the, 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 the regional government needed to understand what processes uh, trigger this and how the coastline evolves during the time. So we, we helped them to, to answer this question using satellite data analytics. And then ultimately, the reason they would do that is that so they can build strategies around maintaining sand year round, so that tourists can you know stay at the beach, come to the beach. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, actually, um, many times uh, what satellites do is to help you understand what is happening. Once you understand what is happening, then you can design a solution to this. You know. Uh, but understand what is happening is very important because most of the times when we talk at this scale, it's if you are not observing, you don't know. <laughs> You're just, you know, you, you can predict, but you don't know. But you really, satellites really guessing. Observe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Without access to information, you're really guessing, and then that can be a disaster when you put mitigation strategies into place that aren't based on correct accurate and timely um timely information um well so i mean look i just made the comment a moment ago i mean you've sounds like you've done a hell of a lot in a short space of time uh you've you've got the eos viewer up you you've talked us through some of the applications and the pilots uh from what i understand self-funded to date early revenue 
um, which is amazing for a, 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 a platform play like this and, and the type of technology we're talking about to have got to this point. Um, that's a huge, uh, a huge achievement in itself. You know, talk us about what the road ahead looks like. I mean, is are we talking about moving out of a, um, a validation, technology validation phase, if you like, and heading into uh, commercial, you know, real commercialization into 2021 and beyond? Yeah, so uh, let's say the roadmap would be mm, commercial validation, more or less. So I guess that we're pretty happy with the technology so far. I am. So I think we validated the, the let's say the product, the technology with with Total already. We did some. We we agreed on some metrics with them. So you know to keep everything very serious and and professional. At the end of the uh, of the proof of concept, they were very happy with with the technology. So we think um, yeah, it's it's more now it's more or less spreading the word, uh, reaching up to to potential customers, understanding their needs and trying to provide value in other markets. So we're very active now in uh, Latin America, in Europe and uh, Middle East. And yeah, the whole commercialization strategy is put in place is just to make this happen and try to reach uh, potential users that see value in what we do. And, and how are you doing that? Are you working with partners in those regions you mentioned or are you keeping that all in-house? How are you actually getting the word out and and getting conversations going with potential customers? Yeah, so in places uh, that um, are, let's say, far away from us in, in terms of network, uh, we, we try to work with partners like Latin America. So we have a very good relationship with uh, two companies that are uh, reselling our solution in Latin America. Um, and in Europe, we go directly with our, let's say, traction channels that we use and, and try to engage in conversations with oil companies and governments here in Europe. Um, and that's more or less, yeah, that's more or less the, the strategy that we are putting in place this year. Gotcha. And sticking with those regions for a period of time before you try and go too far outside of those regions into the, the Southern Hemisphere, uh, for instance? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So being being a small company, there, of course, there's a limited things, uh, limited amount of things that you can do. So we're going step by step, especially uh, trying to understand how we can produce value, whether, uh, you know, you can have very fancy technology, but if you don't uh, provide value, then you don't have a business. So uh, especially putting a lot, a lot of effort in the priorities of uh, potential customers of, you know, would you invest in a technology like this? If you would invest in that technology like this, why don't we prove this technology in your environment? Then you, if you're happy, okay, let's let's sit and let's engage for long-term relationship. And I suppose that's where your um, that's one of the many advantages to your um, background in maritime surveillance comes from, right? Because you you understood um, your potential customers' problems very very well before you marched off to try and build a piece of technology that. Um, that supposedly is going to solve a pain point. I mean, you understood the customer, you understood the use cases, you understood the pain points. Um, 
which is a huge leg up because a lot of people get that wrong, right? They don't understand their customer completely. They make assumptions that they don't validate. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, they spend a lot of money and time building something mm-hmm. that essentially no one wants. Yeah, absolutely. That is a very good comment, uh, Nick. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what we're trying to leverage in a sense, uh, especially when speaking to governments. Um, yeah, we tell them, you know, I've been there. I've been worked in your position. Uh, I've had to manage a situation like the one you're managing right now. And I know the technologies that are there in the markets. Yeah, so we think that this is better, this is more cost efficient, and this provides better insights to your questions. It's more or less like this. Of course, it's not always as easy as this. (laughs) You know, this is like business. But... uh, domain expertise, especially in earth observation, is a huge advantage, I would say, because we are not a mature market. Earth observation, you know, using satellites to provide value is an emerging market. So we're building the market right now. So it's, you know, the story you tell is very important, very important. Sure, yeah, you're almost... In a way, you you know, you talked about this earlier about talking to the satellite companies about what you need. There's like a bit of a there's a pull mechanism there, right, to create the you know the information or or ensure that there's the information that you need that they understand where the industry is moving to, so that they can mm. you know man it and and resource it appropriately, so you can get access to information in three hours, for instance, a satellite image rather than 24 hours that it might have been previously. And that can be game-changing for what you're trying to do, right? I mean, uh, access to information, um, and, and that's a real example that you gave me before the recording started, about 24 hours down to three. You know, you, mm-hmm. you think about um, response times and, and so forth, and particularly around critical events. I mean, that's enormous. Yeah, that's enormous. That that's the adjective <laughs> to use. And if we yeah, can get so, it to real time, yeah, you know, I mean, think about think about how useful that's going to be and how how game changing that can be. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the way to do this technologically is is to use what we call constellations of satellites rather than using one satellite, as it was in the past. You know, NASA launched a very famous uh, satellite called Landsat Eight. Uh, it was, the, I think, the first uh, Earth observation satellite that was open source. So everyone was very, very happy with this uh, capacity in space. But then you realize, okay, but if I need an image for an emergency, um, you know, how much do I need to wait to have that image? You know, and it, it normally it's about days. In the past, it was about days. But if you're in the maritime domain. Normally, the use cases are very demanding in terms of timeliness because, you know, the ocean, you know this very well. It's a very dynamic environment. Things don't stop, you know, ships don't stop or oil spills don't stop or search and rescue operations don't stop. And you need the information now. No, you know, if you provide information in 12 hours, then you are um, you're talking about the past, not about the present. <laughs> it's as it, it's like this, you know. But the nice thing is that the satellite operators are, you know, receiving this message, this this message from 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 us and from the end customers. We, you have to be fast. You have to 
we have to be agile in the way we exchange information in the supply chain. So from the moment that the customer needs, an, uh, uh, you know, needs information, uh, from uh, uh, to the moment that we deliver that uh, product to them, you know, that enriched information, that, that insight to them. This has to be very, very quick, agile process. Yeah. Otherwise, we're dead. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it can be the difference between life and death in a search and rescue, or it could be the difference yep. between uh, a spill being catastrophic or being somewhat manageable. So, um, sure, that's that. You know, we can uh, we can definitely um, you know appreciate the need to get those times down, and 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 we're seeing um, immense progress already, as you say, over the last couple of years. I mean, it's it's actually a bit mind boggling um, how how good um, these monitoring systems. Uh, can get say in the next ten and twenty years with, um, with with further developments and and the term that you referred to the democratization um, of of space it's, it's really exciting. Juan, um, we're coming to the end of our, our chat, uh, but I just want to give you a, a an opportunity to um, any sort of final comments or, or things that you'd like to to finish up with, and also how can people find out more about Orbital EOS. Um, you know, can people check out your website, your social feeds? Um, how can people get in touch if they're interested in having a look at the tech? Go for it. Okay, so um, you can reach out to us uh, through our uh, social media. We're very active in, in LinkedIn and, and Twitter. And uh, so our uh, Twitter is uh, .eosorbital, if I'm not wrong. Um, um, orbitaleos.com is the website um, and yeah we're very active in LinkedIn normally uh, sharing information about how to use space in the maritime domain for environmental arts and security issues as well we are currently exploring a very let's say interesting thing like for instance detecting lost containers at sea using satellite imagery. Uh, so last year we had three major accidents and a lot, a lot of containers were lost at sea. So again, coming back to the thing of fast information. Uh, yeah, we can, we can be there now. We were not in the past, but we can be as fast as this requirement uh, is. Um, and on the technological side, uh, we are also putting a lot of effort in um, something we call AI in orbit. Yeah, so now we, let's say, take the image from the satellite and process and analyze it here on the ground. But the near future is to put, uh, to train a machine, to train an AI, put this AI in orbit. So we have a satellite that detects oil spills from the space and he provides me already the answer, not the image. So that is, we, we're, we're definitely, this is definitely a place where we want to be. Uh, and um, we have the support uh, in some projects of, of, for, for this from the European Space Agency in order to promote this approach. And we think this is going to be a huge uh, improvement uh, in, in, in how technology can be used to solve real problems.
on Earth. Yeah. So essentially, you you plug the AI into at the satellite level, and rather than, uh, am I right in saying that that would um, reduce the amount of information that you're being sent and the processing time to actually analyze that data? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. That could, that could be an order of magnitude in terms of um, efficiency and uh, and timeliness, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That that's the main goal. Yeah, so we would be talking about kilobytes of data, you know, right. rather than gigabytes. Yeah. So now that the, the the supply chain is so complex, involves so many actors and and huge ground stations and huge you know facilities to just to communicate from the ground to the satellite and, and backwards. Uh, so we would solve this by putting intelligence in the, in the satellite. So what, once, we, once you get that AI in orbit concept up and running, we'll have to do another podcast because I'd like to talk to you about <laughs> what that does to those numbers around cost monitoring reducing by a factor of 10 and surveillance capacity uh, increasing by a factor of 100. They're, those numbers are going to be completely blown up with, with AI in orbit by the sounds of it. Um, Juan, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a great discussion. It's been fantastic to hear uh, about what you're doing. And, and once again, um, it, it sounds like you have done a hell of a lot in a short space of time. Congratulations for everything you and the team have achieved and, and all the best for, uh, for the future. Uh, thank you so much, Nick. Congratulations on, on, on your initiative so far. You know, uh, it's, it's been huge to, to, you know, having the chance to contribute to your initiative and being in this podcast has been really great. So thank you so much for inviting me. It's, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Juan. Have a great day. Uh, you too, Nick. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.